Well, welcome. It's great to be here together. Welcome to everyone in Mesa, in the South Mountain campus, at our Fountain Hills campus, and online. Uh, today, we're continuing a series in Exodus. We've been spending quite a bit of time in chapter 20 going over the Ten Commandments, and we'll spend a bit of time doing this, and that's okay because the Ten Commandments are a big deal. When you think about the Ten Commandments, picture a cross. The first few commandments help us to understand how we relate to God, and the last five commandments help us understand how we relate to each other so we can learn how to love God and how to love each other. But in the middle where they intersect, you find the fourth and fifth commandments. They are unique. The other eight commandments start with you shall not. The fourth and fifth commandments are the only ones that start with other words, remember and honor. So these are special commandments that teach us how to relate to God as we interact with each other. They both communicate really important spiritual truths. They're special and they play a special role. So we're getting into the fourth commandment today. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so God says you've got six days to work. I sometimes have to remind our church staff, that means you're not divinely entitled to a two-day weekend, okay? <laughs> now, most of the times you're going to get two days off, but God said six days you shall work. Now, we know once you become an adult and you're, you have responsibilities, you know, even if you have two days off from your job, you're still working six days of the week, right? Because you've, you've got a whole other day that you do work to take care of your household and you, you do errands and you do yard work and you run the kids all over God's green earth. And so, you know, at best, you're getting one day off in all seriousness. But God says, don't work on the Sabbath day. You shall not, don't do it. And as we've said in this series, when God says don't, he really means don't hurt yourself. So don't hurt yourself by working on this Sabbath day that I have declared to be a day of rest. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And what it means is literally cease, to desist from labor, to rest. The Shabbat, the Sabbath day, ran from Friday evening to Saturday evening in Jewish custom. And on that day, all ordinary work stopped. Other ancient cultures had a concept of a day of no work, but it was for entirely different reasons. It was due to superstition, and they viewed some days as unlucky, and so they didn't work on certain days. But the Jewish faith, uh, the Christian God, was the first to establish a divine day of rest. And it wasn't as a result of negotiations with the Jewish labor unions it wasn't an OSHA law to protect workers' rights. It was much bigger than that. The Sabbath was a special day that represented essential spiritual realities. And I'm looking forward to teaching you about this. I told you the first week of this series, uh, we went over the first commandment. And I said, this is the most challenging commandment probably of the Ten Commandments. And if you were here, you're like, yeah, it was challenging. I had lots of false gods in my life, I didn't realize. And I would say though that this fourth commandment is probably the most encouraging of the 10 commandments. Our church is really good at receiving challenge. You all are open to the word of God, but you also need to be equally good at receiving encouragement. I'm here to encourage you today. If you're ready for it, say bring it on. Exodus 31. We get some more insight to the Sabbath day. It says, you must keep the Sabbath day for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Wait a second, I thought you were gonna encourage me, pastor. I'm getting there. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. 
The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth. But on the seventh day, he stopped working and he was refreshed. Okay, so I wanted you to see this passage because it's very insightful. Here, God talks about the Sabbath day is a sign of the covenant. I don't know if you've thought about that before. It's a sign of the covenant between God and his people. This wasn't just, you know, a rule, a day off. It was a sign of God's covenant with his people. And then he uses the words, if you don't keep this, you will be put to death. And the words cut off from the community. That is Old Testament speak for damned to hell. If you were cut off from God's people in the Old Testament times, that's not like getting kicked out of your church today where you're still saved by faith in Jesus. If you were cut off from the community in Old Testament times, that was a way of saying you are separated from God. You are no longer his people. What is going on? Like, why is this so serious? Why is this such a big deal? And just in case you're wondering, they actually follow these commands. In Numbers chapter 15, it records a story of a man. They caught him gathering wood for a fire on the Sabbath day. And the people took him to Moses and they're like, what do we do with this guy? And they're all like, we don't know what to do with him. And God told Moses, put him to death. And they took him and they all stoned him to death. So God wasn't playing no games. Why is this such a big deal? Why did God give us the Sabbath day and tell us to keep it holy? I'm going to talk about that. I'll give you three main points here. First, God gave us the Sabbath so we'll remember to enjoy life and give thanks. The concept of Sabbath day is rested uh, and rest is it's based in creation, the creation story. God created the universe in six days. And me personally, I believe he created them in six literal days. The Hebrew word for day is yom. It can mean a, a literal 24-hour period. It can also mean an indefinite period. There are other theories that when the Bible says days, maybe it means longer periods of time. But me personally, I tend to, whenever possible, try to take the scripture literally. Unless it is clearly poetic or metaphorical, I want to take it literally. Jesus said you must have faith like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's good to remember because sometimes we try to get too smart for our own good. And we'll be like, well, God, how could he create the world and the universe in six literal days? Science says everything took so long. I, don't, I know what science says, okay, but I've, I care a lot more about what God says. And I would rather get to heaven and, and have Jesus say, Ryan, you're just a big dummy. Like believe, <laughs> believing it was literal days. I'd rather that than him say, why were you such a big doubter? I'd rather be juvenile and naive and trust God's word with childlike faith than think I'm smarter than the word of God and that I've got to explain things away that God said very clearly. But it's not a huge deal either way. I mean, it's just, it's just me. It's just me, okay? Like, it's a secondary issue. God could have created the world in a longer period of time. But like I said, I like to take it at face value. It's not a salvation issue. But it says this in Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So when it says the Lord rested, the obvious question would probably be, why did God need to rest? I thought he was God. Did, did he get tired? Well, no, he, he didn't get tired. When the Bible says he rested, he ceased creating, he ceased working. Uh, this could be an example of what theologians would call an anthropomorphism. Okay, that's a fancy word, but I think it's a good word to learn. That's describing God using human language. And the Bible does this sometimes. Like when the Bible talks about God clapping his hands, he doesn't actually have hands, okay? He's a spirit but it uses human language to describe, or the Bible describes God changing his mind. Well, he knows everything. He doesn't really actually need to change his mind. He already knew, knew what he was going to do, but it uses human language to help us understand. Or when it says he rested, he didn't actually get tired and need to rest, but he set this example for us in a way that we can understand and describes it to us that way. 
Why did he rest? Well, Genesis 1, 31, talking about the creation story, says God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Everything God made and the pinnacle of creation was man and the pinnacle of man was woman and God said, behold, it's very good. God created everything in six days and then he took a whole day to stop working and enjoy what he had made. Uh, in December, um, one week I wasn't preaching and so on our day off we went for a hike. I went for a hike with Lila and my wife Amy and as we were hiking, I was working pretty hard to both just get up this mountain that we were hiking on and also, as I've mentioned in previous sermons, keep my daughter from killing herself. <laughs> So I was paying a lot of special attention, just like make sure she didn't fall and like carrying her and helping her not to slip. And so, you know, we're just kind of trucking along. And it's funny how if you've been hiking, you know, you have to pay so much attention to where you put your foot and it takes so much effort. And sometimes, you know, you're hiking up a mountain and thinking to yourself, like, why am I doing this to myself? When are we going to get to the top? I need to take better care of myself. Why is this so hard? Oop, don't trip. And, and it's funny how unless you intentionally stop and take breaks to look around you, you don't actually appreciate the majesty of where you're at. And, and it's when we would stop and, and take a little photo that we would look up and look at the surrounding creation. And we would go, wow, look how far we've come. And look at this beauty all around us. If you don't stop and all you do is climb, you just eventually become tired and you fail to appreciate what's all around you. Do you see why God gave you a Sabbath day to rest? So that you could stop working and appreciate all of the good things in your life that God has blessed you with. If all you do is work and work and try to achieve, eventually you're gonna become tired and depressed and discouraged. But when you stop and you look around you, you can appreciate and enjoy all the good things that God has blessed you with. Let me give you a little spoiler. The 10th commandment says, do not covet. Do not covet. To covet is to want for something that is not your own. We've all struggled with coveting, especially in the social media age. You see what someone else has or what the rich and famous have, and you think, I wish I had that. I want that. I'm not satisfied until I get that. One of the reasons that we struggle with coveting is because we're not good at resting. Until you rest from work and look at what God has already blessed you with and enjoy the good things in your life, you'll never be satisfied with what you have and you'll always long for more. But when you stop and you enjoy and you appreciate what God has blessed you with, it helps you to avoid the temptation to covet. The Israelites, they had a day to honor the Lord, to keep holy, so they would worship him, they would celebrate, they would give thanks, they would enjoy life. So how, how can you enjoy your Sabbath day? I think it's important that you just enjoy life and all, do all the things that are life giving to you. Uh, so on your Sabbath day, enjoy it, right? Sleep in, don't set an alarm, eat good food. Right? Maybe you're on a diet the other six days of the week, right? But the Sabbath day is for dessert. And all God's people said, amen. And stop calling it a cheat day. It's not a cheat day, it's a Sabbath day. Do fun things. Watch movies on the couch. If you've got kids, play with them. If you've got a spouse, have sex with them. It's a day of enjoyment to glorify the Lord and thank him for all the good things that he's given you. And let that turn into praise in your heart. Here's the second thing. God gave us the Sabbath so we'll remember that we're no longer slaves. We are free. So the Israelites had spent hundreds of years as slaves in bondage. And guess what? Slaves in Egypt they didn't have a lot of rights. 
They weren't getting a lot of vacation time. Pharaoh didn't care about them as people. He just looked at them as commodities, as labor force to use for his own purpose. I don't know for certain, but I would wager they didn't ever get a day off or rarely. And so God says, I want you to be clear on this. You're not slaves any longer. I don't want you working like a slave seven days a week. I don't want you to stay in the slave mindset. I want you to remember that you're free and free men and free women can stop working and take time to enjoy life. And this was part of the Jewish custom. It continued all the way through Jesus's time. And Jesus kept the Sabbath. In Luke 4, it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Can I say it this way? Jesus went to church every week. It was his custom to go to the synagogue. You know, hey, I'm glad that you come to church anytime. We got some people in our church family. Uh, I love them. I affectionately think of them as priesters. They come to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And that's better than nothing. But it's not as good as something regular. Develop a custom. Make it a habit. Make it a part of your pattern to go to the Lord's house. In Luke 23, it tells us that on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. This was right after Jesus had died on the cross. His body had been buried in a tomb. He had not yet risen yet. All of his friends and family were mourning their loss and they rested according to the commandment. See, Sabbath is a time of rest and enjoyment. You can enjoy and have fun, but also it's a time to heal. You gotta stop using that wounded part of you sometimes in order for it to heal. You gotta slow down and and sometimes you just have to rest to make it through the hard things in life. A lot of times when when we're hurting, we think I've gotta stay busy. I've gotta keep my mind going. I've gotta distract myself from the pain and the disappointment or else it'll be too much. But sometimes God wants you to rest in it so that you'll be forced to deal with it and bring it to him so that he can bring healing to you. During the intertestamental period, which is the time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was hundreds of years, and we don't have scripture recording what was happening in that time. But one thing we do know, it was during that time that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, like these guys added all sorts of extra rules and regulations to Sabbath custom and tradition and what God has said in his word. And this is the time period in which the Sabbath day became burdensome with rules and laws, and it developed a legalistic tone. And there were all kinds of aspects of observance that you had to follow or else you would face scrutiny, judgment, or even unwarranted punishment. The Talmud is a Jewish writing that records their traditions and It talks about some of the things that you could not do on the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to open an umbrella in the rain. That was considered work. You weren't allowed to trim your nails. That was considered work. You weren't allowed to run. Now, I don't think you should run any day of the week personally, but (laughs) I'm not built for that, right? You You couldn't squeeze orange juice. That was considered work. You could not brush your teeth. Hmm. Methinks that's not what God had in mind. God loves fresh breath in Jesus' name, amen. In modern times, Jews, they believe you could not tear toilet paper on the Sabbath day. You couldn't braid hair. You couldn't apply lotion. You couldn't turn on the lights. You see, like there's so many rules and legalistic laws and and the Jewish leaders added all these laws to God's word and they turned what was meant to be a blessing into a burden. And Jesus had to intentionally fight against this and push back against this common thinking. In Luke 6, it talks about how his disciples, they plucked grain from a grain field and ate on the Sabbath day, which was a violation of the Pharisees' legalistic rules. 
In Luke 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath day. In Luke 14, Jesus heals a man with swollen arms and legs on the Sabbath day. In Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees believed it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath day. That was considered work by these legalistic religious leaders. But Jesus rebuked them and he said in Matthew 12, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus was telling them, you know, if your sheep or your oxen falls into a ditch, you're not going to just leave it there till the next day and let it die. You're going to pull it out. And they thought, oh, yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, how much more valuable is a man to God than your dumb sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And that's a good reminder for us because some of you, you might, you might say, well, Sunday is my Sabbath day. Is it okay for me to serve at church? You know, there are people, they're out there right now directing traffic in the parking lot and watching kids and, and serving in all kinds of different ways. And you could say, that's work. Are you, is it okay to do work on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus, who is the subject matter expert on the matter, said it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There are modern Judaizers. I talked about Judaizers last week. They're Christians who discover Jewish tradition and they get really excited about it. I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. Hebrew things, <laughs> Jewish things. We need to do these things. You guys, we should do this. It would be so cool to like, get all in touch with our roots. And the, did you know that in Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was Saturday? <gasps> That's so cool. We should have church on Saturday and stop doing it on Sunday. And it's like, okay, slow your roll. I'm glad that you're learning cool stuff. But this whole having church on Sunday thing, it isn't a thing that we just came up with like five minutes ago. This has been what Christians have done since the resurrection. In Acts 20, it says, on the first day of the week, we gather with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. So the seventh day, Sabbath, was Saturday. The first day is Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned to give. It was the first day, Sunday. In Revelation 1, it says, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. John, when he received his revelation, his vision from the Lord that led to the book of Revelation, he says, it was the Lord's day. That was a phrase they used for Sunday. I was at church, worshiping, and God gave me a vision. You see, Christians have been gathering on the first day ever since Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Romans 14 says this, In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. You could pick Wednesday to be your Sabbath day. Friday is my day off. That's our Sabbath day. We don't call it Shabbat. We call it family day. It's a little easier for Lila to wrap her mind around at three years old. She loves family day because we do fun things together and we spend time together and we enjoy life together. Justin Martyr was one of the church fathers and he wrote the first apology of Justin around 155 AD. So this guy, Justin, was discipled by a guy who was discipled by the apostle John. And he wrote this, but Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So you could take a day off any day, but it's traditionally that Christians worship on Sunday. It's traditionally the case. It's okay to have church on Saturday night. It's okay to have church on Sunday evening because... Romans says that you should do what you're convinced is right and don't think that one specific day is more holy than another. I, I want to give you a word of caution, okay? Here's where I want to give you a, a little bit of a warning as we talk about the Sabbath day. Because Some of you are going to come out of this sermon, you're going to be like, whoa, the Sabbath day is a way bigger deal than I thought it was. I thought God just wanted me to treat myself and take a day off, you know, like take care of myself. But it's way bigger than that. 
And, and what you could be tempted to do is fall back into legalistic thinking. And you could think, well, I've got to have my Sabbath day be on Saturday and we can't work. We can't do chores around the house. No, like, you know, it's got to be strict. We've got, because if we don't, we're doing something wrong. But remember, God doesn't want us to turn this back into a legalistic thing. The whole point of this is to remind you you're not a slave anymore. And so sometimes in certain circumstances, I do work on Friday, but most of the time I don't. Sometimes I have to move my day off to another day. And I'm not like, oh, we moved my Sabbath. I, I've sinned against God. No, because I'm not a slave. So don't jump back into legalism. We are made free in Christ Jesus. Don't turn God's blessing back into a self-imposed burden. Jesus in Mark 2 said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man, that's him, is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, and I said so. I'm the one who gets to say, Jesus says, right? God did not make you for the Sabbath day to follow a list of rules and obligations. He made the Sabbath day for you to bless you and to teach you. Even think about the Bible. I mean, we value God's word, I mean, so highly here, but God did not make you just so that you could follow a bunch of biblical guidelines. He gave biblical guidelines for you to be a blessing to you. Okay, here's the third point. God gave us the Sabbath so we'll remember to stop working and rest. Israel had a familiarity with the Sabbath rest, even before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they already had a Sabbath day going back to Exodus 16. And you read about God giving manna from heaven. He was pouring out sweet bread from heaven for the Israelites to eat and providing for their needs. God likes bread. I'm glad to know that. I just want to make that point to anybody <laughs> who wants to argue against that. In Exodus 16, it says this, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came up and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a, a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Okay, so every day they had to go out and they had to gather their daily bread. And if they tried to keep extra for the next day, God supernaturally made it spoil and go bad. He wanted to, he wanted to teach them to rely on him every single day and just go out and gather just enough for today. If they tried to hoard extra, it would just rot. But on the Sabbath day, God wanted something different. He didn't want them to work. He wanted them to rest. He didn't want them to go out and gather extra or gather their food. He wanted them not to gather at all. So what he did was he reversed the supernatural miracle and he made it so that on the sixth day, they should gather twice as much and rather than it rotting, God would supernaturally preserve it so that on the Sabbath day, they wouldn't have to work. His people already were familiar with this Sabbath day concept. But I want you to see this. Before you can rest, you must trust. Before you can rest, you must trust. The Israelites had to trust God to supernaturally preserve the manna on the sixth day before they would gather twice as much and believe that they wouldn't need it. They wouldn't need to gather on the Sabbath day. It required trust to participate in this Sabbath miracle. God doesn't want you to be legalistic about the Sabbath, but he does want you to practice the principle of the Sabbath day. Okay, he doesn't want you to create rules and legalistic guidelines and turn it into a burden, but the principle still applies to you. A Sabbath day, a day off, a day of rest, a day of enjoyment and remembering is still to your benefit. So whether it's Saturday or Tuesday or Sunday, right? Uh, God still has this principle for you as a blessing, but you today, it still requires trust before you can rest. Some of you are really hard workers, and I praise God for that, your work ethic. But a lot of times what can happen is when you're a hard worker and you love to achieve, 
you start to trust more in your own ability to produce than in God's ability to provide. If you're building a business, if you're working the hustle life, it's very hard to rest because you think if I'm not working, someone else out there is and I'm going to fall behind. If I'm not building my business, my family's not going to have food on the table, we won't be okay. It takes trust in God to stop working and producing and just rest and believe that his provision is greater than your production. It takes trust. Even when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you go to sleep, you have a degree of trust that allows you to go to sleep. You have to believe that uh, nothing bad is gonna happen while you're asleep. And I don't wanna put all kinds of fears in your head and make you like, you know, bad guys breaking in the house, house burning down, people are tonight like, oh gosh. You know. But like, to, to fall asleep, you have to ha have a degree of trust like that I'm gonna be okay. And to rest on the Sabbath day, it requires trust in God. It teaches you to trust in God that I will be better off resting and trusting than working and not trusting. You see what God is teaching you here? Our world is so fast paced. There are many people that work seven days a week. You've got information constantly bombarding you now more than any other time in human history, especially if you're on social media, you're watching the news every night. Don't watch the news every night. Do not watch the news every night. I forbid it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but seriously, I, for, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> it's not good for you. You got all this stuff coming at you and it stresses you out and people are more anxious and stressed out than ever before. And, and I mean, you'll hear people that, that, that are constantly working and they're constantly taking in the news and, and social media and they're stressed and they're anxious and they're fearful in how they talk about the world. You need time to rest. Anxiety levels are higher than ever. Medication levels are higher than ever. And there's a time for counseling and medication. Those things can be fine. But do you know that before any of those things existed, God gave you a day to rest? In Exodus 31, verse 17, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. Refreshed. This word refreshed in Hebrew is nafash. It communicates the idea of being refreshed or really the essence of the word is to do with breath, to catch your breath. You know, when you're hiking up that hill, sometimes you gotta stop and catch your breath. When you're working through life and you got a job, you got kids to take care of, sometimes you have to just stop and catch your breath. God gave you a day to catch your breath. The breath of God gives life. In Genesis, God breathed his breath into man and Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. And Jesus does the same thing basically in John 20. He appears to his disciples after the resurrection and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit imparting the breath of God supernaturally into them, giving them, giving them spiritual life. Sabbath day is a day for you to breathe, to be refreshed by the spirit of God, to catch your breath. And doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like something that's to your benefit? This physical reality points to a greater spiritual reality. Rest is important, obviously. You know, if you're working out every day of the week and you never take a day off, eventually you're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured. Uh, any athlete knows that you need recovery time uh, in order to perform at your peak level. The physical reality of the Sabbath day is that it's good for you to stop working and take a break and rest and enjoy life. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind. But there is a greater spiritual reality that is being taught to us by the Sabbath day. Okay, that doesn't mean that the physical world is bad, like Gnosticism teaches. It just means that every good physical thing in this world is a shadow of a greater spiritual truth in the heavenly realm. Track with me here. Spiritual life is greater than physical life. The, spirit, the greater spiritual realities of heaven today 
are taught to us by God in this physical world. But someday when Jesus returns and creates a new heaven and a new earth, those spiritual realities will become physical. And I'm gonna hopefully explain this in a way that you can understand. But this physical reality of a literal day off is a reflection of a greater spiritual reality. So is the Sabbath still for us? Yes. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, what's that word? Fulfill them. That means that we should still employ the principle of the Sabbath day, but we're not bound by the restrictions because we're not slaves. Through Jesus, we get to enter an eternal state of Sabbath rest. Yes, you can still benefit from an actual day of rest and you should take one. But going back to the time of Moses, the Sabbath day was always a placeholder for a greater Sabbath. In Colossians 2, it says this. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. It wasn't about the rules and regulations and days of the Old Testament laws. These things were shadows of a greater reality to come. And Christ himself is that reality. See, Sabbath rest is not ultimately found in a special day, but in a special person. Every good thing that the Jews got out of the Sabbath day you receive greater portions of through faith in Jesus. In Hebrews 4, it says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Now we who have believed enter that rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their works just as God did from his. This passage is written to the Jewish people. It's written to Jews who were very familiar with the Sabbath. And he's saying that not everyone enters into God's Sabbath rest because they don't believe. And he was talking about belief ultimately in Jesus Christ. But he's saying to you, if you believe in Jesus, you enter into a Sabbath rest. Some translations say a special rest in Jesus Christ. And those who enter into this rest, they cease from their works. They rest from their works. Now, okay, I know that some of you, uh, this is your weekend off. Most of you probably work Monday through Friday. Some of you work on the weekends and you have irregular schedules. But I know a lot of you, the most common pattern is to work Monday through Friday, take Saturday, Sunday off. Uh, and so a lot of you by tonight are going to lay your head back down on the pillow and you're going to think, man, the weekend's over already. <sighs> Mondays. Why can't every day be Friday night? Why can't every day be Saturday? I wish the weekend wasn't over. It's crazy, right? Physical rest is for your good, but eventually, even if you rest your heart out, you're going to get tired again. By Wednesday, you are dreaming of the weekend. Do you see, though, how the Sabbath day of physical reality, it points to a greater spiritual reality? Everyone in the modern era has probably wished that they could just live in a perpetual weekend. But if you believe in Jesus, you've entered into Sabbath rest. And it's like you get to live in a perpetual spiritual weekend. You know what you get to do on the weekend? Whatever you want. No work, sleeping in, play, enjoy life. Do what you want and rest. This is entirely different than the reality of non-Christians. Non-believers don't get a spiritual weekend. They live in a hamster wheel of constant work with no rest. Anyone who believes in the teachings of Islam or Mormonism or Hinduism or Buddhism or even atheism, 
You've constantly got to do good work to prove yourself worthy. Even in the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith writes this plagiarized passage from Ephesians that he, t- he twists subtly. And he says in 2 Nephi, this is from the Book of Mormon, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved. That sounds familiar, right? But then he adds another phrase after that, after all we can do. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And I've talked to many Mormons about this passage, friends who are Mormon. And I like to ask them, what does that mean, after all we can do? And you know what they eventually will say? It means as long as you do your part, God will save you by grace. It is a corrupted form of grace. When you introduce a little leaven into the bread, it corrupts the whole batch. When you introduce a little works into God's grace, it corrupts the whole thing. And when you talk to a Mormon, as I've done many times, ask them, how do you know when you've done enough to receive God's grace? And they'll say, you don't. You just have to keep trying your best and hope. There is no assurance of salvation. There is no peace for your soul. You've always got to keep working. You've always got to keep trying. You've always got to keep doing. Even when you're trying to rest in your mind, there's a nagging thought. I should be doing something right now. Because it says after all we can do. I better get back up and keep working. Because I sure want to be saved by grace. See, Joseph Smith, he could not handle God's plan to justify. Actually, in Romans 4, it says this. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, Joseph Smith, in 1830, started retranslating the King James Version and adding a bunch of scripture to it. And he hated this verse. And so he changed it and he added the word not. And he said, God who justifieth not the ungodly. He he was basically saying God does not justify the, he didn't like the idea of God justifying the ungodly. So he wanted to basically change it to say, God only justifies the godly. He only saves the godly. You you see what happens when you live in a works-based religious system? You cannot actually handle the idea of God's grace. So you're always working, never resting. I mean, Mormons are closer than Muslims, but they're still so far away, trapped in a spiritual work week with no spiritual weekend. Always working, never resting. This leads to death and work when you should be resting and enjoying life. Watch this. In Exodus 31, remember we read this passage, it said this. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. This is a covenant obligation, a sign of my covenant. You see, this covenant obligation, sign of my covenant phrasing, that's salvation language right there. Cut off from the community in death, that's damnation language right there. This is a matter of eternal death and eternal life. Works-based religions always lead to death. Being saved by grace through faith in Jesus, by definition, requires not trusting in work. Watch this, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Here's what it actually says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That word works in Greek is ergon. Ergon. It means to work, to do, to produce, to act. It's action. You're not saved by that. What is the opposite of works? It's not grace. The opposite of work is not working. The opposite of work is resting. In Hebrew, the word Shabbat, it literally means to cease, to desist from labor, to rest. Go back to the previous slide. Works is doing, 
Sabbath is resting. So I want you to see this. The Sabbath day was a picture of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Right there in the middle of the 10 commandments, right after God explained to his people who he is and how to relate to him, he was implanting in their social code the groundwork to understand salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by God's grace through rest. Resting in Jesus. Here's what this really means for us. Jesus bestows all the good gifts of God to us for our enjoyment. When you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, you experience all the benefits of the Sabbath day. On your Sabbath day, enjoy life. But through Jesus, we experience fullness of joy. All the favor and good gifts of God are bestowed to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus frees us from slavery to sin. Just like the Sabbath day was a reminder to his people that they were not slaves any longer who have to work seven days a week. Faith in Jesus and salvation by grace reminds you that you're not a slave to sin any longer. You don't have to go on sinning. The Holy Spirit sets you free from the curse of sin and empowers you to choose what is right. You're not bound by the shackles of sin. Jesus opens the door to the prison of sin and he allows you to walk out. Third, Jesus allows us to rest in God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Or you could say, we're saved not by works, but by rest. Resting in the accomplished work of Jesus. And every time we think about our relationship with Jesus, it's like a Sabbath rest that we've entered into where we know I don't have to prove I don't have to achieve. I don't have to produce to earn salvation or to earn my place in God's family. I can just rest in my soul and know that I'm saved. I'm saved by grace. There's so much peace there. And then there are some of you, you've been Christians for a long time, but it is possible to be a Christian, but to live with a works-based mindset, especially if you grew up in like a legalistic background, you're always worried, like, I'm not good enough. I did the wrong thing. Oh, God must be so displeased with me. I've got to prove myself. I've got to prove myself worthy of God's love. And you create this burden, this legalistic burden for yourself when God wants you to rest in the accomplished work the accomplished work of Jesus. And that's why some of you are exhausted because you're not resting in God's grace. It's possible to be physically rested, but spiritually exhausted. If you learn to rest in God's grace, he's gonna lead you where you need to go. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So you might hear about this whole resting in God's grace thing and maybe you get worried. Like, well, are you trying to get us to be like lazy Christians, Pastor Ryan? (laughs) No. Jesus is saying, yoke yourself to me. That's in agrarian cultures in biblical times, you know, they'd have two oxen plowing a field and they would yoke them together so they could walk side by side and cooperate. Jesus is saying, you yoke yourself to me and I'm going to show you the way. My burden is easy. My, my yoke is easy to bear because Jesus does the heavy lifting. All you got to do is attach yourself to him and let you lead Let him lead you. He's going to get you where you need to go. The longer you walk with him, the more you're going to become like him. Like, but but Ryan, you're just saying like works don't matter. No. Faith without works is dead. But we're not trusting in our works. Works are a byproduct of our trust. Like all of you who are at church right now, why are you here? No one made you come here. You're here because you wanted to come to church, at least on some level. Well, the reason you wanted to come is because you know it's good for you. It's life-giving. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you want to do the things that he does. Because you learn that they're good. They're pleasing to the Father. 
They're life-giving. So resting in God's grace doesn't stop you from doing good works. It allows you to do good works with a rested soul. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm not a Christian. (laughs) I'm exhausted. I want to find that rest that God offers through Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have to confess our sins to God, admit that we're sinners and need his help. We need his salvation. And that's available through Jesus, believing in him, trusting in him, recognizing I can't save myself. I can't earn salvation. I've got to let Jesus be the one who saves me and completely trust in him. That's how we're saved by grace through faith. If you want to make that step today, you want to cross that line of faith, make that decision, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, wherever you're at, and I want to invite you to pray this with me. Just say, God, I confess that I have sinned against you, and I need your forgiveness. I need you to save me. I'm calling on Jesus. I'm trusting in him. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin so that I could be forgiven. And that he rose again so that I could have eternal life. I'm going to follow Jesus from this day forward and rest in all the good that he has accomplished. I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Listen, let's keep our heads bowed for one second. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up. Just raise your hand up to God as a way of saying, that's me. Thank you. And we're just going to hand you a Bible. We're not going to embarrass you or anything. But if you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand up. Give us a second to slip you a Bible. Go ahead. Don't be embarrassed. It's the best decision you could ever make. South Mountain, Fountain Hills, in the chapel. If you're online, you can put it in the chat. Just say, yeah, that's me. I just accepted Jesus. That's good. Praise God. Okay, let's stand to our feet. Church, isn't it good to know you can rest in the grace of God? You don't have to work to earn it. You get to receive it. Amen. Maybe you felt spiritually weary in your soul. Today, the Lord wants to refresh you. So let's take this moment to open our hearts to him. Let's give him the praise and the thanks that he deserves. And let's let him refresh us. Let's do that. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.